0: Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. And welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. This is Hannah Leiter, and I will be starting you off today. Now, we've done a few of these episodes in the past and have gotten really great feedback from all of you. So for today, we are bringing you another panel discussion, this one on direct-to-consumer, a model of commerce that has become mainstream in the past years. On the panel is Tara Nolan, Chief Growth Officer at Been There, Done That, and Aneem Haroon, a D2C brand strategist at Constellations Brands. Also involved in the discussion is the moderator, Joe Beyer, Executive Vice President of GFK Consumer Insights North America. The panel starts off by giving you an overview of the direct consumer model and why it works, then speaks heavily on the blurring between D2C and traditional brands and what that means for you. This is something that we are and will continue to see more and more of. Then, in true thinking ahead fashion, a look into the future. What's next? And what do you do as a representative of your brand to keep up? With that, I will say farewell to you and I'm going to hand the discussion over to Joe. Enjoy.
1: I'm pleased to be joined by both of you guys now and uh, would love to uh, start us off with a couple of. Uh, questions to throw out to just kind of get our conversation going. Um, Aneem, why don't I start with you? You know, quite impressive numbers in terms of satisfaction. Uh, you know, 90, we talked about 90% who are having these DTC experiences are reporting being quite satisfied with them. And you deal with this challenge yourself, obviously with Constellation trying to make sure your, you know, your customers are satisfied. Uh, As you look at DTC kind of overall, do you see any things consistently that brands that are achieving high satisfaction levels are doing sort of what are some of the best practices here that uh, brands should think about to really, you know, boost those satisfaction numbers?
2: Yeah. So I, I, I'm a marketer at heart, so I don't think my answer is going to be very surprising here, Joe, but I think brands and DTC that are doing it well are great storytellers. So they've really taken the time to ask themselves two important questions. The first is, what is it about my product that's really different and unique? And then secondly, is it unique in a way that people care? And is it really bringing value? And they've taken insights from those questions and really curated every single touch point with a customer to tell their brand story in different interesting ways that really stand out online um, and build that one-on-one customer connection.
1: And I would imagine that the, the DTC format lends itself particularly well to that storytelling, right? It gives you the depth and the engagement perhaps to, and as opposed to walking by a product on a shelf in a store, the the ability to tell a story there is a little bit limited, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely gives you more avenues for customers to hear your story from like Facebook ads to emails to Instagram to Twitter. There's a lot of different ways to reach customers, but then there's also the challenge of, the noise, like everybody on the internet is talking about some of the categories you showed in terms of clothing, beauty, personal care. So creating something really breakthrough becomes also interesting and challenging.
1: And, and Tara, I'll, I'll toss that same question over to you since it's sort of a high level one that, and you've you talked to a lot of different companies and agencies and see a lot of successes and maybe failures in the DTC space in your line of work. Do you have any thoughts on things that you think are markers for good uh, good DTC results for brands uh, as they as they think about their execution?
3: Oh, certainly. I mean, I think the, some of the advantages that the DC, DTC brands offer versus the traditional brands are kind of like three main ones. One is the data curation and ownership, and that goes into what Anim was saying in terms of the storytelling, right? Most of these companies are built um, with a very, very robust and strong data platform that can enable consumer insights and that can help fuel that storytelling based on the analytics that they see. Um, And that's just from a a kind of messaging standpoint, but D2C brands own that first party data without privacy issues either. So that really gives them that unparalleled access to understand minute levels of trends. So one of our community members actually had been there, done that, Give me some insights into one of the brands that she really loves called Stitch Fix, which is a platform that curates clothing. So it's kind of like a personal shopper. And they take insights from consumer behaviors and what do you like, what do you don't like. But the company is really a Trojan horse because they're collecting so much data that they're now able to sell that to the larger brands and, and clothing houses that, enables to predict, okay, hey, this is a a color that's popping for this season. Did you know that maybe the cut's not exactly right on this particular model of yours? So with that, they're really able to transform their business model and find alternative revenue streams, which is more difficult, I think, for a traditional brand to do. And so it's that kind of data crowdsourcing effect that will yield better results and faster. So that's just one way. Um, The second way, again, is customer service too. I think because of that customization, Um, You're really able to get inside the the mind of the consumer. What are they really looking for before they might even realize? And while some, based on your data, Joe, might find that a bit daunting, I think ultimately we're getting used to, as a culture, brands knowing what we want. And I think there'll be a a bit of disappointment if they fall short on that. And then the last thing I'll say is just really cultivating a lifestyle relationship at scale. And so I think it's a little more difficult for those traditional brands to – Try to focus on one thing after they are already so many things and the D2C brands can really start measuring based on one thing. What did we learn? What is the data telling us? And then how can they either pivot or continue to roll out different products? And so those are just a few examples, some informed by the been there done that community. So I kind of cheated a little bit, but um, I hope that helps because I think there's, there's really a tremendous amount of difference, but also a lot of opportunities for that, that kind of cross sell and partnership opportunities from traditional and DTC.
1: Yeah. The, the value of the data is an interesting twist in your stitch, this fi, stitch fix example. Stitch fix. <laughs> yeah. stitch fix. Yeah, um, and that's just one and, you know, company. What's that?
3: That's just one company of many that have, yeah. have figured out that they can also do other things.
1: Right. Well, and I guess that's kind of an, a pretty important imperative in the DTC space in general, just given uh, the at least the global perception or i think it's a global reality that a lot of the dtc brands struggle with profitability at a certain point so um yeah the ability to create an entirely new revenue stream uh and once you have the data you know selling it is pure profit right because you don't have to build anything it's syndicated you own it uh so yeah that's an interesting uh twist on the whole profit challenge for the dtc space uh thank you for that example so, Anim, uh, I want to come back to you on this whole notion of data, and maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, some specific, obviously, what you're willing to share. But for Constellation, do you have some general approaches to how you guys sort of mine and leverage data to, you know, provide the, uh, the optimum you know, customer experience, at least on your DTC side?
2: Yeah, for sure. So Constellation is very involved in creating a really complete picture of what our consumers are looking for. We're it's it's pretty key to our strategy to be consumer obsessed. So we have a um, Sound Commerce 360 uh, partner that we pull insights from basically all of our e-commerce channels, our websites, and our retail channels to get a 360 understanding of our customers. And then we curate offerings based on that. We also leverage it to understand, like, where to stand up warehouses based on areas where we're over-indexing customers, um, and then to really understand um, how to curate personalized messages to customers in different markets, um, as well as really – how to find those high-value, high-lifetime-value customers. So the the analytics are both used to bring value to the customer, for us to try new innovations based on what we're hearing, and then also just to to run the business in a way that will bring value and help us find more people that will love our products.
1: A rising expectation of personalization, I think, has already been mentioned. Tara, you might have mentioned it. But, yeah, the, uh, every year it seems like the stakes go up and the bar goes up in terms of how people – want to be addressed as individuals and kind of recognized as individuals and in their tastes and their consumption patterns. So uh, it sounds like you guys are doing a nice job with that at uh, Constellation. Uh, well, let me get a little more provocative here. And I always am intrigued about, uh, you know, conflict is always fun. And I'm always intrigued when I see macro trends kind of smashing into each other a little bit. And Tara, I'll, I'll shoot this one over to you. But, you know, we, we saw that, um, you know, based on your sustainability work, the, uh, the, the youth, the youth embrace of DTC is well documented in all the data we just talked about. Um, not, you know, this also happens to be a generation for whom, uh, sustainability and, uh, the maintenance of the environment is also just a, a passion point, right? I mean, they're just really advocating, uh, for, for better sustainability outcomes. Um, so, you know, most DTC models are basically, you know, putting a box on a truck and driving it to your front door, um, which, you know, from a sustained, I'm not a logistics expert, but that has to be a, a, a worse outcome from an environmental standpoint than you going down to, you know, target and buying something by throwing it into your cart on a trip that's including all kinds of other things, right? So, um... Is something going to give here? I mean, is, is DTC, and maybe it's already happening in certain cases. I haven't seen a lot of it, but is there kind of a reckoning coming here where these younger shoppers are going to start to wonder about, you know, what they're really doing to the environment by, by utilizing a lot of these DTC brands?
3: Yeah, it's a great question um, for the obvious in terms of climate. But I think what is really interesting about so many of these DTC brands, they're able to be born into the world at a time that really paces and tracks with what society values. And so they can easily not only back with the data and knowing production and managing that properly and and then therefore not overproducing and creating waste, but they're able to communicate with consumers in a way that is much more contemporary. And so when you think about sustainability as a whole, we're not just talking about the environment, we're talking about the global goals collectively. And so that Brilliant. can mean anything from human rights to life on land. And so I think that starting at the top, there, there is, from a values perspective and from a branding positionings perspective, there's a lot more um, kind of wiggle room and creativity that can be allowed for DTC brands to introduce themselves to the world. That being said, of course, the climate effect of all this consumption has, um, you know, there's a lot of importance and concern around that. But there's also a behavioral change that I believe we're experiencing as we've been introduced to the concept of on demand with Prime when it was first out. Oh, my God, we can get anything we want. Order, 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 especially through the pandemic. Everyone's bored. But I think that we're becoming more conscious as a collective these days as to the can I get it to do I need it? And I think that that's um, just becoming more, at least I like to think, an organic shift in consumer behavior and mindset, especially in that younger generation, and especially like industries and fashion where it's one of the most detrimental, and we've seen through your data as well, Joe, um, that it is so easy to click to buy, but it's really looking at the business collectively and thinking how can we make it more circular by design And so just one example that, again, another community member from Been There, Done That pointed out to me was that this um, Amazon is now launching a carbon zero fashion brand. So when we think of Amazon, the creators of Prime, oh, my God, they're so evil, right? But they're actually doing a lot of work to be more on a kind of net carbon zero um, pathway. And they have the logistics and supply chain that's just so broad. So the size is actually a really positive thing. And I think that's super important to consider when we think about these more mainstream traditional brands and the good or bad that they're doing in the world because they can have exponential impact. So the traditional brands actually have quite a big responsibility when it comes to being sustainable, as do the DTC.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Um, So it sounds like in terms of positioning that it would be advantageous for a lot of the DTC brands to sort of define sustainability at a much broader level. I went at it obviously just thinking about distribution. Mm-hmm. but that to your point that's a fairly thin slice of a much bigger picture. And I guess to the extent the DTC brands can uh, talk about their good efforts on that broader playing field, they may be less penalized for perhaps you know less efficient or less environmentally gentle uh, distribution uh, methods, I suppose. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, perhaps.
3: Um, I mean, I think that's still a very big part, given their business model and and how they actually get the products direct to consumer. But it's also um, just thinking through, you know, the the reporting metrics now that ESG is becoming more um, of a not only trend, but requirement. And everyone's starting to share these financial reports and data this way. It's just something to keep in mind. It's super important.
1: Great.
2: And Joe, can I jump in here? Yeah, I want to get Uh, you in here too. Go ahead. Yeah, I well, just because, you know, I was formerly Albert. sustainability is pretty near to my heart. And I, I just want to echo what Tara's saying because consumers really do care about the full life cycle. And I think it's not just enough for brands to say, oh, we're, you know, zero carbon emissions. It's super important for them to be fully transparent. And sustainability has to be part of their mission. It can't be just like an add-on. Because consumers really do see through that, especially some of the demographics that you showed in the presentation today of a younger consumer. They're really looking for those sorts of transparencies. And, you know, we've seen that at Constellation as well. Like I manage a brand called Empathy Wines, and it was built on the foundations of sustainability. And the consumer reaction to that story versus some of the other brands that have just kind of added on sustainability is, is very different. So I would, you know, really sort of double echo what Tara's saying and, and say that it has to be not just the full life cycle, but also just core to the brand mission and values so that it's authentic.
1: That's a very interesting dovetail to me with what you said earlier about storytelling, right? So yeah. now part of the story you're telling is sort of the, the, the origin story of your wine, right? I assume you talk about how the grapes are grown and, you know, a lot of those other aspects before it even arrives on the shelf, right? And how you're trying to be sustainable throughout the production process and all the other parts of the process, right?
2: Exactly. Like the, you know, when we, when we talk to consumers, if we just say, Oh, our emissions are great. Like we don't, we use less fewer trucks. We don't use as much fuel. They're, they're like, that's great. But what are you doing at the beginning? And we've seen something Mm -hmm. similar even Talking to Albert's customers, comparing them to, you know, Adidas and Nike and some of the, the other fashion brands are that are trying to do recycle programs. That really does matter to customers, but they always want to ask, okay, but why are you not doing right in the first place? Why, why not go back to like making the products in the right way? So I think that's, that's pretty critical as brands think about how to, how to tackle sustainability.
1: Great.
3: Yeah, that's great. I, I love this. I could talk on
2: um, and on and on about this because I think with the storytelling
3: piece as well and the consumer messaging, it gets um, really interesting because you, if you are an authentic brand and you've done it all right from the start, great, you know, A plus, but um, you can't fake it till you make it in this capacity. Absolutely not because you'll get so called out and I think it's um, also an interesting brand challenge because I've seen a lot of brands actually do the right thing from the start, which is the right way to do it, but end up kind of struggling to communicate that because they they get so in the weeds of, you know, the 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 real work as opposed to kind of the the kind of other storytelling consumer messaging. So um, it's a it's a whole other webinar I'm sure we can <laughs> dive into.
1: Yeah, we've done a lot on sustainability. That's for sure. Hard hard, hard to find a hotter topic in the industry right now, honestly. Um, um, that makes me happy, part. though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to go back to this crossover thing we talked about in the presentation because I find it pretty fascinating. And I guess I'll just toss this out to both of you guys. I mean, are we overthinking it here? Is it really – are brands now just thinking, I want to be everywhere? Like, Or would you say it's still important for brands to be somewhat choiceful about where they're in distribution and how they reach their – their shoppers, is, is it just sort of free for all? just get me everywhere, or do I want to be you know thinking more about that strategically?
3: Yeah, I'm happy to chime in on that. i I think um, you know you can't you shouldn't I think you shouldn't be everywhere, but I think it can be very confusing with the rise of different ways of transactions we're seeing online from social commerce to creator commerce, and even looking into DTA. Um, direct to avatar, right? So when we have these different avenues to play with, it it essentially is like you're everywhere, right? In terms of where your messaging is going and and how you're reaching people. Um, So I think that's just important to keep in mind in terms of where we're spending our time and our reach, because it can feel very easily like a brand is kind of circling you. But I think that all comes back to, again, the clarity of your messaging and when it comes to social commerce and creator commerce especially, um, which is obviously underpinned really by influencers and talent that you bring into the fold, who are you selecting? Are their values aligned with yours? In which ways are you asking for them to sell your products or are you giving them free reign to do their thing and be the creator that they are, um, which in turn should enable that authentic messaging that you're really looking for? Um, So they're not so much like a a storefront, but they're really a human being that is advocating for your product. Um, And I think on like more on the future side of things, when you look at what's happening with NFTs and and just gaming at large, virtual goods are becoming the new norm. And so there's so many different ways that you can begin to see what something looks like on your body. There's products being sold, um, you know, virtual fashion that are selling higher than actual tangible goods. And so it's a funny question because I think as our world becomes more digitized in certain ways, we we will feel like brands are everywhere
2: <laughs> in yep. different in different
3: formats.
2: Yeah, I was just I was gonna add. I, so I'm gonna say I don't think it's bad for brands to be everywhere, but here's the question to ask: Is your customer there? Because before you enter a new channel or a new market, it's it's very important, and this is where I see brands kind of fall into different pitfalls of DTC is not making sure that the customer is buying in that channel or, Mm -hmm. better yet, do something that Warby Parker did, which is create a better experience for that customer to buy in that channel. And if you don't ask yourself that question, then you can get in trouble being in too many places. But if you do and the customer is there, then, you know, I think it's it's fine to be everywhere and in the service of you know, your customers.
1: But, you know, that's a good point. I think we do have to recognize, though, that uh, for brands and thinking about things like brand equity and how you're perceived as a brand, you know, place and platform matters, right? The, the, the way that you're actually buying the brand or the place you're actually buying the brand has some effect, has some rub off on the perception of the brand itself, right? So, Tara, I think you said, you know, you want to be smart about it and choi- a little bit choiceful, too, about, Associating with platforms and places that you feel are you know, consistent with your brand messaging and not creating a kind of bumping the shopper in terms of a disconnect of why, why are you selling your stuff here in the, you know, in the dollar store? It doesn't, I thought you were a premium brand, right? So I think there's, you know, there's a little bit of that dynamic uh, that suggests the value of some kind of choicefulness. Um, and Anim, I want to come back to you actually on the whole distribution and being everywhere question. Cause you are in a bit of a unique situation, uh, actually, you know, driving the DTC efforts for a company that's mainly, you know, traditionally, uh, more of a traditional brand company through uh, physical distribution. Do you, do you guys think at all or is, does it create issues for you? Um, you know, when you start to push hard on DTC, do you get, do you get blowback from your, you know your physical retail distribution channels who are saying, hey, hold on here, you know the sales not going over my register anymore. You're kind of disintermediating me. Like I'm not too happy about that. How do you guys deal with that?
2: Yeah, that's always a question that we get asked, and it's almost an elephant in the room. So I'm glad that you you're bringing it up. The DTC business for Constellation is margin accretive, but it's still a very small part of the business when you're looking at our complete business. So for us the DTC platform and the e-commerce space is really meant to be an insights and an innovation engine that will bring more value to the wholesaler. So a lot of ways we're utilizing the DTC platform is to try new products, bring them to customers in a more agile way, experiment with our innovations so that when we do go to wholesale, we know we have a winner that'll go into the market. So there's a lot of ways we're actually Leveraging that platform to, to benefit across other channels. And then really it's meant to be a place where we're building deeper customer connections and learning more about the customers. Um, so it's, it's been, you know, a great addition to the constellation strategy.
1: Good. Well, I'm glad it's not creating too much friction with your tried and true uh, retail, physical retailers. That's great. So, um, I'm told we need to kind of wrap up from a time standpoint. But uh, let me just thank both of you, and uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. I, I know our audience has enjoyed it as well, and I'm sure taken away some really interesting uh, thoughts and observations. Um, we we thought we might just cap cap off the conversation. Uh, it's always hard to ask you to pick your favorite, but um, we wanted to get just sort of one nugget from each of you in terms of, you know, one thought that is the folks watching this are, Maybe navigating their own DTC journeys, uh, at various, uh, at various points in the journey. Um, are there, is there a, a thought or two that you might offer them, uh, in terms of being really important to, you know, driving DTC, DTC success? Uh, what, what are some of those most important elements or things to think about? Uh, and as you think about the DTC space, uh, Tara, why don't I start with you and then we'll, we'll wrap things up.
3: Sure. Yeah. And I kind of um, hinted at this, I think, in my first response, but my advice would be if you're a traditional brand and you're not yet exploring that D2C mindset and things that you can do to better your business, I'd say consider partnering with a company whereby you can provide them with potentially that necessary scale or infrastructure that they need. And in turn, they can hopefully yield for you a congruent blueprint for a digital optimization of your business. Um, And then I'll also say as a sustainability advocate um, in the partnerships uh, for the SDGs, which is the goal number 17, that's really just a ripe area for development and opportunity. And so thinking of no matter what industry you're in, looking for the congruencies and needs um, and cross-selling and supporting one another there would be my piece of advice.
1: Well, uh, apparently Unilever has heard you because we just talked about them. (laughs) Making a major investment in these partnerships with these uh, up-and-coming DTC players. So uh, uh, from your from your lips to God's ears, as they say. Um, Great, great stuff. Uh, And, Ian, do you have some thoughts, uh, some parting thoughts for us as well?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, So I think for traditional brands that are doing DTC or omni-channel, it's going to be Pretty important to to meet customers in their expectations for next-day delivery, same-day delivery, getting it now that Amazon has set. So I would definitely keep my eye out on there. Um, Constellation has some amazing plans to to deliver on that consumer need. That's where I think success stories are going to be made in the next 5, 10 years. And then for a lot of new brands that are going digital and and considering DTC – um, I would just really pay attention to the way you acquire customers. Um, cost of customer acquisitions have continued to go up and, and I always advise new brands to at least make sure 10% of their customers are coming through organic referrals. So just keeping an eye on your costs um, as you go through the lifetime of the brand can be, can be make it or break it for new, new brands.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. And please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.